You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. And again, good morning to all of you. It is great to see you here. And good morning to those of you who are watching online or maybe listening to this as a recording later. We're so glad that you're with us as well. And so this morning we continue on in our study of Matthew and as we prepare to do that, um, you may have noticed that Matt had one of these on when he was up here and a number of people do here this morning. Um, This is something that we're deliberately doing differently here on Sunday mornings at Grace and that is if someone is serving in any way in any of our ministries here, we're gonna have one of these name tags on because we wanna be accessible and available to you, especially those of you who were here as our guests. I got to meet some of you this morning, but I'm sure I didn't get to meet all of you who are new here. And we wanna just make sure that we're removing every barrier possible for you to find community here and to get engaged here and to serve with the rest of us here. So again, wanted to let you know about that. And I'm gonna take this off because it's really big and maybe a little distracting, there we go. But I'm excited about this passage here this morning as we come to the Gospel of Matthew once again. And if you were watching on Facebook and you watched our sermon preview earlier this, this week, we talked about the reality that this story is a very compelling story. And I think it's a very relatable story as we're, as we're going to see. Because by any measure, by any metric, this guy in this story has it all. He is profoundly successful. So what is success? How do you define that? What does a successful person or a successful life look like? Well, in in exploring that and in preparing for this message, I went to the authority, and that was I, I Google searched it. And the next significant authority came up, and that was Gallup, the Gallup organization, and all the polls they've taken about this. And how you define success really depends on who's answering the question and what's important to them. Because some people define success as money and stuff and um, affluence, and some people define success as your character and who you are, and some people define success as having some kind of morality or some kind of religion, and some people define success as accomplishment or significance or what have you, and the guy in this story has it all. He has all those things. Ladies, do you know what you call a guy who has all these things? A catch. This is the guy who you hope is gonna click on your profile online or who you get to click on his if you happen to use one of those dating services. This is the guy you wanna meet. Parents, if you have a daughter, this is who you want to be your son-in-law. You want this guy in your family. And if he's a neighbor, you want this guy in your neighborhood. I mean, by any measure, by any metric, this guy has everything that that culture and even our culture would say is a successful person. This is a successful life. This is the man who has everything, and yet he lacks the most important thing. And to his credit, in this story, he will come to Jesus, this man who has it all, and he will ask him, a very profoundly important question, the question that we all have to ask at some point in our spiritual journey. And we're gonna look at what he has to say. Would you pray with me one more time as we now prepare to open God's word. Lord Jesus, thank you 
that you are the God who wants us to see you, wants us to hear you, wants us to experience you. And so we pray through a power, the power of your Holy Spirit that you would do just that this morning, that you would make your word come alive to us. You would help us to see you for who you really are, to see ourselves for who we really are, that we would have a willingness to, to learn and to listen to you and then to grow in you and to become who you've called us to be. So God, please speak powerfully to us. We ask this in your name. Amen. And now we come to the story of the rich young man or the rich ruler, depending on um, which gospel you're reading from. So let's look at what happens here. So he comes to Jesus and asks, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Well, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, Go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Well, Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Now, I've studied this passage before and even preached on this passage before, and there are so many layers to this for you and me, and we're not going to be able to unpeel all of them back, but we will some of them, and there's so much in these opening two verses. It just speaks volumes about this man's life, what he prioritizes, what he values, but it also talks to us a lot about Jesus. So he comes to Jesus, addresses him as teacher, which we'll come back to in a bit, and says, what good thing must I do? And Jesus here in his reply gives this kind of enigmatic layered reply, and it's almost like he comes off being a little cranky. At least that's how it reads at first blush to me. Is well, why do you ask me about what is good? It's like he's, he's frustrated with the guy. There's only one who is good. But, but I think there's more to it than that, and I don't think that's necessarily representative. This, this guy is coming to him asking, hey, my resume is really good. What's the last thing I need to add to it in order to enter into eternal life? Just tell me what I have to 
do. And Jesus actually is making a statement about his identity here. He is the gold standard of good because he is the ultimate good because he's God. And right away we begin to see some very important things here that help us understand what's going on. The first is that there, is a, there are a number of false messages about your life and mine that empty religion teaches us, that our culture teaches us, that get exposed here in this opening exchange between Jesus and this guy. And this is the first. This idea that is running around out there and that most empty religions openly, explicitly teach that you can earn God's acceptance. And we know that the Bible and Jesus, the Lord, they turn that completely on its ear and say, no, 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 it's not about what you do. It's about what has been done for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 in the New Testament says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God accepts us based on our response to what he has done for us. His resume is way better than yours and mine or this guy's for that matter. But there is a prevailing message that is taught explicitly and implicitly not only by our culture but by a lot of empty religions that somehow you can earn your way into God's acceptance and that's simply not true. And we'll look at that in greater detail as we get a little bit deeper into this. So God's acceptance of us is based on our response to his grace, to what he has done for us on the cross. If you didn't have a chance to hear Sean's sermon last week, please go back and listen to that sermon because he so beautifully underscored for us the impact, the freedom of what it means to know the Lord, to experience his forgiveness, and yes, to experience life now and life in the future. Because God's acceptance of us is based on a bloody cross, an empty tomb, a a risen and resurrected Lord, and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that that he gives us. That's the core. That's at the heart of the gospel. So God's acceptance uh, of us based on what we do in response to what he's done for us. Will we receive that into our lives? Now, God's approval very much is conditional. If you want the blessing of God, you need to trust and obey God. But you don't trust and obey God to earn his love. You trust and obey God because you have his love. Very, very different motivation. And it's this incredible life-changing message that we get to live out and that we get to proclaim. But there's something else that Jesus exposes here, and that is that good is good enough. You cannot be, I cannot be good enough to earn my way into God's acceptance of me. Which is is really challenging because we tend to default to this. And this has significant appeal because if you talk to the average person walking around on the street who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, many of them will say, well, I'm a good person. Why should I go to heaven? Why should I experience eternal life? Because I'm, I'm a decent person. I'm a, I'm a good person. And Jesus immediately torpedoes that here in this exchange. And this is why he takes task with the guy saying, just tell me what good thing I must do. 
Because there's nothing good about an unregenerate, unchanged heart. Good isn't good enough because good doesn't go deep enough. This isn't about being a good person or a nice person. This is about being a new person. If you receive, if I receive Jesus Christ into my life, at the point that we do that, we get a new heart. He changes us from the inside out. He doesn't doesn't just change our behavior. He changes our motives. He changes what we think, not just what we do or don't do. It's a change to the core of us. We don't need to change our behavior. We need a Savior to give us a new heart. And then Jesus also speaks to this. I wonder what the disciples were thinking as this exchange was going on or anyone who was gathered around there and watched what was happening. They probably couldn't believe what they heard because there was this prevailing belief in the first century and it still is lurking out there even in our culture that if you do good, life will be good. You do good, you be good, and you will be blessed as a result is another way of saying that. So in that culture, someone would look at someone like this, this rich guy, and say, well, he obviously has the blessing of God. He's rich, he's moral, his life is good. Not necessarily, no. There are many examples in Scripture of these people who are rich or who have all this, what we would say, success, and they don't necessarily have the blessing of God. This this isn't necessarily true. In fact, some of the most heart-wrenching laments in Scripture are people who are crying out that the righteous seem to perish, but the evil seem to prosper. And sometimes, yes, that does happen. So this, this isn't necessarily true either. And then there's this mentality, which is really how this guy seemingly was approaching Jesus, was, well, I'll just add you to my life. In part, that, that's given to us as a clue with how he approaches Jesus because he addresses him as teacher. Well, Jesus was more than a teacher. And that term gets used with Jesus in a variety of ways. Oftentimes when the religious leaders are coming to test him, they will address him that way. Sometimes it's used as a gesture of respect. But this guy, in a sense, is looking for a divine life coach. He's approaching Jesus with this idea that he can just add Jesus to his life and then everything's gonna be okay. But again, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You don't just add Jesus to your life. You make him your life. That's why he asked him to follow him. Okay, so if it's exposing empty religion, then what is being taught here? Well, did you catch this? Jesus says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Jesus expects us to be perfect? Yeah, he actually does. Well, that's an impossible standard. Well, let's talk about what perfect means here for a minute. Does perfect mean without fault? Which is how a lot of us internalize and define that, and that's not what it means. Perfect here, this word that's used here, and we've seen it used before, and we'll come to that in just a minute, it means to be complete. It means to be mature. It means means to be whole. 
And if those of you who are with us will remember with me back to Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus was talking about loving our enemies, what did he say there? He says it again, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in this sense, what's so cool about this, and probably pastors are the only one who get excited about this because, you know, you do a little word study and you begin to unpack some of the layers here, but this is a command, but this is also a promise, and it's an empowerment all at once. Do this. You can do this, and someday you will fully become this when you're with the Lord. But this is calling us to be complete, to be mature. And this speaks to this core appetite, this core hunger, this core desire that we all have, every single one of us. We have this hunger, we have this thirst for a relationship with God, a right relationship with God, the way it was always intended to be. And yet we will look for other things to fill that gap or that void. And in this case, to use the same language, we will look for other things to complete us. Some of you are doing it right now. Some of you will do it today. You will look to something or someone to complete you in a way that only God can. Or to put it another way, to meet a need in your life that only God can meet. Some of us look to our spouses to complete us. And what that means at times is that we look to them to give us something that they can't truly give us. Only God can. Or we'll look to other relationships in our life to somehow complete us and make us whole. And, and they don't, and they can't, and they won't. But we're looking but it doesn't just have to be relationships. It can be, it can be stuff. It can be things, which is what was going on here with this man's heart. He was looking for his possessions, for his money to complete him. And it had a prominence in his life that, that it shouldn't have had. In fact, this is fascinating to me, and this is just me, but this jumped out to me for the first time after reading this passage so many times, he asked Jesus, okay, tell me what I need to do. What is the one thing I need to do? And Jesus says, okay, well, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Okay. And then Jesus begins to roll through the commandments and he captures about half a minute, half of them. And I don't know if this is significant or not, but it's interesting to me that he leaves out the first two. Do you remember what the first two commandments are? You shall have no other gods before me and don't worship idols. And someone has wisely observed that if you obey the first two commandments, all the rest seem to fall in line. This man has another God, little g God, in his life. And what is it? It's his money. The problem wasn't that he had affluence, that he had stuff, that he was rich in all the ways that our culture and any culture really would say he was rich. The problem was the prominence that it had in his heart. And so Jesus gets very personal with him. Because this man had made a good thing, and those are all good things, 
the ultimate thing. And he was looking for that to complete him. And he was looking to that for something that it couldn't do and would never do. And so Jesus puts his finger on it. Interestingly, in my study, this is the only time that I could find where Jesus looks at someone who is wealthy and says, you need to sell everything and then come follow me. There are a slew of wealthy people in the Old Testament and New Testament who were never asked by God to do that. In the New Testament, never asked by Jesus to do that. Joseph of Arimathea was loaded. Nicodemus, presumably, was loaded. Matthew, because he was a tax collector, presumably was loaded. They're never told to sell everything to the poor and then to go follow Jesus. And it says that the man went away sad. And if we begin to look at that word even a little more deliberately, it says he was grieved. And that there's a flavor of being offended there as well. And someone else has wisely observed, when you've heard from the real Jesus through his word, through the work of his Holy Spirit, through answered prayer, boy, you fall to your feet in worship or you're offended. There's usually not a lot of middle ground there. And Jesus looks at this man and says, I want that. I want you to give me that so that I can give you what you're truly, really looking for. So my friends and family, this amazingly personal, loving God, if he were to come to you or to me this morning, and he actually is, through the power of his Holy Spirit, and he were to put his finger on your life, what would he say to you that he wants you to give him? You have elevated that to a place that is too important and prominent in your life. So I want that. Will you give me that? Will you follow me with that? Why would, why would Jesus ask this of this guy? Why would he ask that of you and me? And in another gospel that tells this same story, Mark helps us understand that even more clearly, and he said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's why he put his finger on that man's life. It wasn't because he didn't want to bless him. Actually, the opposite. He wanted to bless him beyond what this man was even experiencing with all that he had, the man who had everything, who knew he was lacking something. Jesus wanted to give him that something. It's pretty remarkable. So, it's easy for us to look at this passage and to say, whew, boy, glad I'm off the hook. This is the only guy in history who Jesus ever asked, presumably, to give up everything and go sell it to the poor and then come follow him. So, oh, I'm really glad he's keeping his hands off my stuff. I'm really glad he's not asking me to do that. But that's not really the point. The point is, if Jesus were to come to you and me this morning and were to say, I want that, what would it be? What is that one thing? And here's the litmus test for you and me if we've created an idol in our hearts and lives. What is that one thing where if Jesus said, I'd like you to follow me with that, where you say, mm, no, uh-uh. You can have everything, Jesus, but not that. Okay, what is that? What would that one thing be? 
as you know, many of you know, my, my dad passed away a little over a year and a half ago now. And for the last six months, nine months, Jamie and I in particular have, with some help from our kids, have been going over to our house and cleaning out my mom's house now. And my dad, my dad was a pack rat. And God, in his sense of humor, always seems to bring a pack rack together and a thrower away of things together, or a declutterer together, or a purger. Depends on what kind of label you want to put on these two. But in his sense of humor, God seems to bring these two kinds of people together, and it was true for my, for my mom and dad. And, and just a little um, unsolicited advice here. If you are a pack rat and you don't want your purger to throw things out, you've got to hide what you want to keep and then let them throw the rest out. Marital harmony there. But... Getting back to my dad, my dad had all this stuff, and my dad was a contractor, construction superintendent. He had every kind of tool you can think of. And we've spent a lot of time going through all my dad's stuff and getting it ready for this huge garage sale that we're going to have this, this weekend. And I'm grateful that my dad didn't measure his life by his stuff. Despite the fact he was a pack rack, my dad didn't, didn't measure his life or his value by by his stuff. But as I'm looking at all this stuff, I'm thinking, well, Jay, in your stuff, what is it that you have that you would say to the Lord, you can't have that? And it's a very convicting, powerful thing. Jay, would you be willing to give your money away? Would you be able to, and willing to give anything that you have away if it meant you could follow me more completely or if I asked you to do so? And for many of us, it's not our stuff, it's our time. Oh boy, that's a pretty valuable commodity too. So when God interrupts your life or mine with a neighbor or a family member or a friend or some kind of need that comes to you, how do you respond? How do I respond? I think some of us have more of a struggle with our time than we do with our stuff, quite honestly, and following the Lord with that. But again, God comes to us not because he's trying to make us miserable or unhappy, but because he's trying to free us. He's trying to help us truly experience the life and the blessing that we're, that we're actually looking for. You know, one of the reasons when it comes to time that I like volunteering at VBS is because I'm busy. I got a lot of stuff to do. And it's a way for me to give my time and to invest into, into someone else. A couple years ago, I was able to be a crew leader. I can't swing it this year, but I am going to serve at VBS. And I would ask that you consider serving with me. I know you're all busy, but morning and evening, you've got options with how you can invest your time. And it's a defining moment opportunity for us to reach into this community and to see the ripple effects of that literally over the course of the entire year. So, so would you consider serving with your time this week, if, if you can? But some of you have already picked up on this, probably all of you, and that is there's a reality that swims around in this passage, and it's this. There is a cost to following Jesus. And Peter connects those dots right away, and he looks at this guy, a guy who everybody in that culture would have said, well, surely this guy is blessed by God, and he's, he's in the kingdom of God, and he hears that he's actually not in the kingdom of God, and he says, oh, wow, okay, there's a cost to this. So I, what I love about Peter, one of the many things, is that Peter always asks what we're all thinking. Whether it's political, politically correct or not, or whether, whatever it is, he'll, he'll ask it. And he asks it here. Probably what they're all thinking. 
what is in it for us? We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus promises this incredible reward of they will be judging the 12 tribes of Israel someday. But then he makes this tremendous promise that anyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. I don't know if you were listening, but in the report that the Eskandars gave us in Egypt, as I understand it, there's a tremendous cost to following Jesus. And in many cultures today, if you choose to follow Jesus, you will lose your family. You will lose your mother and father and brother and sister. Now, that's not true for most of us here, but even for some of you it is. Choosing to follow Jesus has cost you. It's cost you relationships in your family. It's cost you friendships. There is a cost, and it is a hard cost to bear. There's no way around that. But do you see the promise here? God is going to reward us. What's in it for us? Incredible reward. Do you realize that 11 times in the Gospel of Matthew, it says you will be rewarded, you will be rewarded, you will be rewarded. Over and over again, it talks about our reward. In Hebrews 11:6 in the New Testament, it says he rewards those who seek him. And we don't really know what our future reward is going to be like. We'll get to this when we get to Matthew 25 in a number of weeks. But in Matthew 25, it talks about that we're going to be able to, to be in charge of things in the kingdom of heaven as a reward for faithfully following and loving and serving Jesus here. In Luke, it says we'll rule over cities. In 1 Corinthians 6, 3, it'll say some of us will command angels. I mean, there's just these incredible rewards that we get just a taste of, just a glimmer of, that we're going to get to experience. And my friends, he wants to reward you now. He wants to reward you with himself. With Jesus. I mean, just from the scope of those of you who are watching or listening to this online in the future, for those of us who are in the room today, there are some of you who in your heart of hearts, you know you have always been looking for that one thing or that one person that would complete you, that would give you what you're looking for. My friends, you have all been hardwired with a need for a right relationship with God. And as long as you and I look to complete that with something other than God, fill that with something other than God, you will stay thirsty, you will remain hungry, and you will be unfulfilled. This is the God who comes to you and me and puts his finger on our life, not to make us miserable and not to make us unhappy, but says, you're settling for far less than what you could really have. I love you. I want to bless you, but I want you to follow me with all of you. And so the incredible thing about this story is that we don't know how it ends. This man talks with Jesus. Jesus puts his finger on his life and gets personal with him. And then he walks away sad, grieved, maybe even offended. What happened after that? We don't know. But this is what we do know. As our worship team comes and we prepare to respond in worship, your story is still being written. 
when this God comes to you and puts his finger on your life and says, I want that, how are you going to respond? Are you going to say no? Because you don't quite trust that he has your best interests in mind or that his way is better. Or are you going to say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you on your terms and not mine. Because when you and I do that, when we follow him on his terms and not ours, he promises us, ultimately, he will bless us because he loves us. And so we're going to reaffirm that reality in our lives now. We're going to sing about this incredible love of God. We're going to invite him to put his finger on our lives to make sure that we're following him with every part of us so that we can truly find what it is that we're looking for. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the God who loves us enough that you will not share us with anything that has too much prominence in our lives that we look to for needs that it can't ultimately fulfill. Lord, we need you. We want you in our lives. Please forgive us for those times that we set the conditions and we define the terms. Forgive us for those times we say, you can have everything but that. Lord, would we choose to believe you that your love is real, that your blessing is real, and that you will do what you promised to do. And now we sing and remember the great love that you have for us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. And we lift our voices to worship this amazing God. And as we prepare to go from here, we follow him now with our lives. And I realize there is, there is a weight to this passage here this morning. Forgiveness last week, following the Lord in every part of our lives this week, this is the heavy lifting of right relationship with him and with others. And you can do this. Because if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, he empowers you through his Holy Spirit to live the very life that he calls you and me to live. And it's something that you don't have to do alone. We're a community here. If we can pray with you for anything that you're up against right now, we would love to do that. And for those of you who are online or listening to this later, if you go to the footer of our website and you click on the prayer button there, that will link you to us. And please share how we could be praying for you. But my friends, our motivation for this comes from this. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new has come. Lord, I pray for all of us, including myself, that we would remember who we are in you, that we would remember that you are the only one who truly completes us. Would you help us to identify and then to respond to your Holy Spirit when he puts his finger on something in our lives that we are looking to for too much, that we have elevated from being a good thing to the ultimate thing. Lord, as those things are exposed, would we call them for what they are? And then we, would we remember what you promise us and choose to believe you for that? Lord, thank you that you are with us, that you empower us, and that now you go with us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So go and live for him. We hope to see you next week. 
Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.